0: Hello and welcome to Riding Unicorns, the podcast about growth startups. I'm James Pringle and my co-host is Hector Mason from Episode 1 Ventures. This week's episode is with Darren Tenkarang, founder of Trimit. Darren's story is one of great resilience. He started the business as a kind of software as a service booking platform for barbers, but realized that to really make a success of it, they needed to go full stack and actually provide their own barber shops on wheels. So now they have a franchise model where they kit out vans with a barber shop in the back and barbers can register and service their entire city from a single van. The company's gone from strength to strength and Darren covers exactly how much revenue they're making in the podcast. It's a really great listen for anyone starting out who wants a bit of inspiration. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to Riding Unicorns. This week we have Darren Tankerang on the show. Welcome, Darren. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to speak to you guys. So, as always, we'd love to start off with your journey so far and what's led you to Trimit. Yeah,
2: my journey, it starts off finding us in university. So when people ask me, like, okay, how did Trimit come about? If I'm going to be brutally honest with you, it came as a result of fear. So I did a stint working in the corporate sector. So I was working at an insurance firm. I loved it for for the first six months. You know, you're in a seat, feeling dapper, going into the big city. And then after six months, I got pretty scared because for me the environment was pretty grey. And I think it was my manager at the time. He was like to me, Darren, like uh, as, as a joke, because I was struggling with certain things. He's like, ah, oh, as a joke, you could be dyslexic. It would be small stuff like if I'm doing it like a late shift, I couldn't concentrate properly, or words would kind of move, look a bit fuzzy on the screen. If I'm writing an email, instead of saying Darren went to the shop, I'll say the Darren went shop the. <laughs> it was it was crazy. <laughs> I went back to university to finish my fourth year, so I was in a placement year. I really need to take my destiny by the horns and just really pursue something where I can create an environment that would be most suited for me. And that's kind of how TrimIt or entrepreneurship came about. So fortunately for us, I had several business ideas at this point. When we first started, we were a pure software company. So we created like a, a booking platform for barbers. So barbers would be able to, in essence, be able to accept bookings. The problem that we were trying to solve at the time was the fact that you could go to a barbershop on a Friday or Saturday and wait hours. Yeah, And I suppose I'm not like my father, so my father's generation, um, he'd go to the barbershop on a Friday or Saturday with a pint of Guinness, talking to the boys, talking about women, politics, football. So we wanted to kind of redefine the customer journey and just make that process a lot more slick. So we created this booking platform for barbers. We onboarded about 300 barbers. We're doing about 2,000 bookings. And that was with, the 10K that we raised. So we were a very lean team. We got a, we got a bit of traction. But if I'm going to be honest, the barbers that we had on the platform weren't using our software the way it was intended. So you'd book an appointment and you'd still have to wait your three hours. So every day our brand was getting hammered. And we had complaints, all that. And we couldn't control the, the experience. And I'm very, very um, experiential. I want to control the experience. I want the experience to be amazing. So by this point, we had raised about 40K. Okay, and with the last 15K that I had in the bank, I had this weird idea, yeah, this, this very weird idea. It was like a really dark day in the office because I was actually close to pulling the plug on, on Trimit. And one of my friends, we came to the office and I told him about the fact that I wanted to put a barbershop in the back of a van and through an app, book said van to your location. And what he said to me, bear in mind, this is like four, four and a half years ago. He was like, Darren, this idea is nuts. Yeah, It doesn't make sense but you're the only guy crazy enough that I know that could potentially make it work. <laughs> so with the last 15K that I had, I bought a crappy van for like 5K. I built the interior myself, or not really myself, it was with a bunch of builders. I would kind of like told them what to do even though I didn't know what I was doing. We'd watch YouTube videos in the morning and we went about creating this van, this mobile barbershop. And we created it. Their van looks absolutely terrible, but it did what it needed to do. And like, that's how, I suppose, the Trimit journey at the mobile barbershop, the tech-infused mobile barbershop really, really started. So we went from a booking platform, then to a tech-enabled mobile barbershop, and then we gone on to do like several rounds after that. So we did like 250k, um, as like a pre-seed, and then we did 750k, and then in between that we did a bridge round. So that's, that's the story in, a, in its
1: kind of short, long form. <laughs> It's awesome. It's like the perfect scrappy startup story and almost going bust, buy a crappy van, do it up yourself, which by the way, sounds really fun. And I'm quite envious of your van conversion. I've seen many of them on YouTube and they look really fun. So you found yourself hitting some success with the new van led model. What sort of happened then? Has it just been plain sailing since then? I know that now you guys run franchises. So just talk a bit about the, the journey post-van, shall we call it?
2: Sure. So we had the one van. So we got to the point where our van was fully booked for six months in a row. And that's when we took on that pre-seed to that 250. Because when we first had the van, the one van, it was actually, when I say tech-infused, in reality, we were doing things in, with, with Excel sheets. Yeah. So it was very, very manual. So we needed to make sure that we could automate all of the the manual things that we had embedded technology into our platform. We were able to actually prove as well that one van would generate a a monthly profit. Um, So we knew that the the actual van unit economics actually made sense. And then from then, we changed from it being an owned and operated model then to the franchise, Um, and that was post-COVID. So after COVID, things went a bit nuts on our end, and we went from seven vans, and now we're in the process of actually building 70 vans. So, yeah, it's, it's gone a bit crazy since then.
0: It's awesome. How did you learn about franchising and how to do that process of replicating a model that was successful?
2: It's similar to the fact that I built a van outside my mum's house. I did it on the fly. If I'm going to be honest with you, when I say a franchise model, it's more of like a hybrid. You have aspects of like the gig economy. In reality, if you look at like an Uber model, it is a, it's a franchise model. It's someone that basically taking a percentage of the cut and allowing that single individual to. Act as their own entity so I've studied like the McDonald's model and I've had to study other models and I've put them all together but it just makes sense for us so when I say franchise model, it's, it's the thing that's closest to the model that we're doing but it's
1: got a hybrid of loads of different things. Yeah really interesting the franchise model because I guess it's great for scaling but potentially you lose out on some of the margins so how, how did you kind of think about which route to go down and is it scale that's the most important thing at the moment or is it margin and does do you think that changes over time initially the goal was to get to 500
2: bands yeah so 500 bands means a a thousand barbers two barbers per band you do like a a day shift and an evening shift so when i was speaking to liam he's the guy that like handles the, the logistics and the band conversions and whatnot i was like are you comfortable building 500 bands he's like yeah that's fine then i spoke to pete and i was like will our tech be able to out and will it be able to facilitate a fleet of 500 he's like yeah that's that's fine don't worry i've got got that covered then i spoke to myself and i was like can i manage a thousand barbers and i said hell no that's impossible (laughs) um managing employees is very very difficult yeah and operational cost associated with that is quite extreme and one thing going wrong in a month could eradicate your margin or your profit for the month so we wanted to offload the operational complexity and the operational financial burden onto the business and it's proven to allow us to scale without having the complications of actually managing a thousand individuals so for us in the space of six months to go from seven vans to 70 vans and by the end of december we'll probably get to 100, about 105 it just goes to how easy now our operation is we, we our tech handles it we have the processes to basically enable a barber to become an entrepreneur and to be able to operate on their own. So trim it now as a tool for our barbers to use to get to that next level with the infrastructure, with the backbone.
0: Darren, you've done really well to sort of find that product market fit and really understand the problem and how you're actually going to solve it in a scalable way. You've also done very well with fundraising for an idea that maybe on the surface doesn't seem sort of venture backable. So how did you manage that process and what was the kind of tipping point where you thought, I've got something now that investors are really interested in and what advice might you give to other founders that are raising with similar concepts that maybe on the, at the starting point don't seem venture-backable, but actually over time they can be?
2: We've always known that Trimit has always been about cutting time. It's our technology that allows us to be great. It's our technology that is actually the crux of the business. Without it, getting from A to B is just so difficult. Is so, so difficult getting from A to B and also generating demand for a particular location is super, super difficult. So we've been able to automate all of that. And what we believe is that with our model and with our infrastructure, we'll be able to apply it to actually different industries. Like some of our investors know that I'm looking at potentially acquiring a, a dog room. So that's exactly the same thing that we do, but just has no tech. We want to be able to apply that infrastructure and they selling that vision, selling the how, how scalable and how quick. So for founders that, have i suppose maybe asset heavy businesses or businesses that look like they could be potentially brick and mortar it's about making sure that you're selling the vision that you're much bigger than that that singular product to schema to... i want them to think it's simple i want them to think look this is a barbershop in the back of the van and that is fine but in the back end they're doing the loads of like really really cool stuff
0: i think that's a really good point for founders to take on board when we interviewed Haym from thriver in season one he just said it's a gateway model fundraising and the gate number one that you have to get through for anyone to consider the other gates is this is going to be massive. So selling that vision up front is really important.
1: Without wanting to make this podcast seem like a strategy session, I do think it's really exciting what you're what you're doing. So what are the things that you're thinking about over the next five years? I mean, some of the things that strike me as possibilities would be like, you know, your own range of hair creams or whatever that you sell as part of the kind of package to your franchisees have you already started doing that kind of thing or what are the opportunities that are staring back at you
2: so so right now we're very much in a land grab situation just because basically we have got the UK market and what our ultimate strategy is is actually to go to a different geographical location so we're ironing out places like Paris or up out places like um, San Fran
1: so that we can start having bases there that's super exciting and how have you guys gone about growing where do you get new customers from where do you get new hairdressers from what's been your kind of yeah acquisition strategy for those two things so when we talk about
2: customers we talk about them in two two ways so our customers are actually our barbers they're the people that generate us our our money they're also our franchisees they're our partners but ultimately they they are our customer the end user is the person that gets a haircut so the way in which we find our customers the barbers typically through paid social get acquisition of barbers for about 20 pounds or 20 pounds a lead. So it's really, really cheap considering the fact that like over the five year agreement that they, they, they make us about what 90k. So that's how we find the barbers in terms of finding then the end user again is through paid social, billboard, marketing. But that bit is relatively easy for us. So when we have spoken to investors previously, Demand was never really getting a barber to be fully booked, which is 208 customers for us in a month. What we found difficult historically was finding the barbers. But since then, we've been able to, I suppose, solve that as a result of bringing this franchise model in.
0: And to date, have you found that you're being pulled into new geographies or are you pushing into new geographies? Like, are you targeting new barbers in Glasgow or are you is a barber from Glasgow saying, I've seen your advert, I want to set up here? How does that work? And then how do you manage something where you're based in London? So how do you manage something that's geographically quite far away? Do you go there yourself? Like, how does it all work?
2: Yeah, so we're definitely being pulled into new locations. So our hypothesis is that any area with over 50,000 people or you know, 50,000 men in it, we would be comfortable marketing in that area and generating demand for that particular barber. So, when we are doing our as we're doing it across the UK, and basically, whoever bites, we will potentially build you a van in that area. How we then onboard and launch a barber in a particular area, we essentially generate their demand and then subsequently push them through the funnel and, and, and get them bookings. So, we have like uh, a franchise open day where they come in, we basically find that if they, well, if they come to us, if they like what we see and they like the infrastructure that we built around our barbers. Then, and if we think you know this person is the right man to van man a van in in Manchester or in Glasgow in Wales, wherever, then we would put them through like a training training program. And after that training program,
1: build their van. That's really cool. What you built clearly serves a a real need, which is why you've been successful with it. What is it that motivates
2: you? I suppose there's two things: is building a business and having fun whilst doing it. So today my day started at 6am and I'm so comfortable that my day will start at 6am this is not necessarily a good thing it will probably end at like 10 11 it could be later and I'm so I'm so comfortable that I like it.
0: So Darren I'm really interested to learn a bit more about the strategy around like looking at other businesses to acquire to fit the model and and use your tech to kind of scale a business that maybe at the moment is it's kind of carved out a niche but hasn't really cracked the scalability factor so what other company you mentioned dog grooming we
2: haven't had much thought into it if i'm going to be brutally honest this opportunity kind of landed itself on my lap because the founder of that company saw what we were doing saw the similarities and was like wow this is really really cool so after speaking to her i understand that she's kind of like a motivated seller like she's tired of Of operating her business but her unit economics are amazing they're so so good so that i'm sure i can add a bit of magic to this and 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 grow it to a a bigger stage that is now
0: i feel like unit economics has come up a couple of times i think it's again really important for other founders potentially listening to understand that you know why that's so important so like obviously at the beginning you might not have known some of those numbers but over time you've Learned them and you know worked out how the business is operating. What are the kind of key unit economics that you measure? How do you measure them, and what what does like good look like for maybe other founders that are trying to work out whether their business is kind of viable in the long run? Sure. I mean, I'm not going to actually speak
2: for what are good unit economics for other founders because obviously I need to know the context of the business. But for our case, um, and when we say we say like van unit economics. So to put things into perspective, a vehicle for us will generate us approximately about 1,400 um, per month. For this mobile dog grooming business, it generates closer to 2,100. So I can already see the, the jump. And the reason why there's a jump is because I suppose the user, so the person with their dog, are spending more on the haircut, on the groom, whereas we're spending about 25 pounds per cut. So I'm taking into consideration... How much does it cost to get to a user? So the traveling aspects of things I'm taking into consideration, the insurance, the public liability, and all of that factors in a particular type of cost associated with cutting a particular user, whether it's a human being or a dog. And those things are what what I look out for.
0: And what kind of tools do you use, if any, to measure analytics? Are you using Google Analytics or Mixpanel or something else? To be brutally honest with you, I don't know.
2: So that's actually all with our marketing team. Stripe is fairly robust in terms of telling us how much money we're generating from a subscriber and the churn and and then the lifetime value of a customer. And then they're under like uh, our marketing guys. So I know he's one of those math wizards that puts everything in Excel sheets. So in terms of understanding, I suppose, how much a particular user is costing
0: us, I'd probably have to ask him questions about how he actually does that. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're delegating well then, uh, which is one thing some founders struggle with, which is good.
1: You you touched earlier on what sounds like a really hard thing to go through with the business, where you got to the point where you thought you're going to have to to wrap it up and close shop. I can assume that that is one of the hardest points you've been through with Trimit, but have there been any other times more recently when you know, you've know you been really challenged, when things have gone wrong and you weren't sure whether you could pull it back? But
2: there's two things I can think of. The hardest thing at the beginning was I hired a team, or I, I, I gathered a team that wasn't hiring properly anyway, a team of mates, one of the mates being like one of my very, very close friends. This is someone that I grew up with when I was like tiny and unfortunately we had to go our separate ways and it was difficult being the CEO of the company. My job is to make sure that I'm placing Trimit in the best position for success and having to make tough decisions based on the hard data and not taking into consideration too much in regards to like friendship and whatnot was quite difficult. But after doing that, it clicked a switch in my head, where now um, completely my job is just to make sure that I'm safeguarding the business. So that was a difficult decision to make. And that was maybe about like three years ago. It wasn't fairly recent. I suppose one of the recent things was I suppose, raising our first like significant round. And that was difficult just because of the concept of having runway and knowing that if I don't raise it by a particular point, <laughs> There's, there's no cash in the business. So that was relatively difficult and it, and it, and it applied a lot of pressure onto to me. I'm the sole person that goes out and raises and I
1: knew that I had to deliver. That's really interesting because the founder of the business is the person who knows that threat the best and also has kind of a, uh, well, I don't know how you feel about protecting your sort of employees from that knowledge and the knowledge that your company faces an existential threat if you don't raise more money which puts you in kind of a lonely place potentially or did you take the view that you know you should be open with employees and potentially scare them and which could lead them going and finding jobs elsewhere what was your sort of approach with that did you find it a lonely place
2: it's definitely for me to take the burden so yes it's a lonely place but fortunately for me like i have some really really cool investors that have been there to kind of support me through that journey as well as having support networks of entrepreneurs that are going through the exact same thing so I'm definitely of the stance whereby it's not my employees burden to take it's my burden to take and I'm fortunate enough that they put me in the position where they, they trust me to lead and subsequently means that I should take on that burden and not let them have to worry about the potential cash flow issues that we might have and whatnot.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I think it, it's probably the the better option, because the, the last thing you want is for all of your employees to be scouring the jobs market, looking for new jobs, and then you're left with an empty shell of a company. But it's super interesting to hear about all of this stuff. And before we before we move on to kind of the next section, i would just give you the chance to, to talk about the um, sort of biggest breakthroughs, rather than things that have been huge problems. Have there been moments where you've thought kind of aha moments and when you've suddenly felt the business is really hitting its stride?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's just the, the franchise model. So I mean, to put things into perspective, about a year ago, we were doing about 45k monthly recurring revenue. This month we're doing 300 so the jump is a lot. And when you really do get product market fit, you see it all over the company from a place of things are now getting chaotic, to also plays from look the bottom line and you're making a lot more money kind of thing. So our hurricane moment, I suppose, was when we started to see such an
1: influx of barbers wanting our product, and that that was pretty cool. Awesome, yeah, I can imagine that must be a brilliant moment. <laughs> so the the final part of the podcast, which we always like to do, is ask our guests who they would invite to a business lunch. We would yeah love to hear who you'd have. So there's two
2: particular people that if i was to sit right in front of them uh, i'd be in absolutely awe i'd be sweating so you got jay-z and you've got P. Diddy as well i think there's a like a famous a famous bar from jay-z and he says something along the lines of i'm not a businessman i'm a businessman and this guy's like jay-z to me he's he's, a, he's incredible he, in his own respect as an individual he's a business he's a powerhouse and he's been able to find the, the sweet connection between being commercially driven having corporate cultural relevance and being really financially literate so he's a massive inspiration and i think pdd as well like he again both them in the music industry emit the same type of vibe and then i suppose the third person would have to then be my mother because she needs to hold my hand while i'm talking to these guys as well so i, I think those those three people would create an environment which i'd thrive in or potentially not even thriving but at least i'll be in
1: awe comfortably <laughs> That would be an amazing amazing dinner or lunch. And I'm sure your mum is very grateful for being invited along. Yeah, I mean, she's just there to support. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we've loved having you on the show. It's been absolutely brilliant to hear about your journey and the difficulties and, you know, a really scrappy start to what's now a, a really exciting and successful business that feels like it's kind of just at the start of an even more exciting journey over the next few years. So I can't wait to track it. And I'm sure all of our listeners have loved hearing the story and will hopefully go off and book themselves a haircut. By the way, what's the quickest and easiest way to do that? The uh, quickest way to book a haircut is to download that.
2: So you can do that on the App Store or, the, or Google Play. Literally booking a haircut, put in your location,
1: and we will come directly to you. Before we go, the other thing is, are, are you hiring? Because this could be a useful time to um, yes. say if you are. We are hiring,
2: in fact, so we're hiring several operations executives. So those are people that will essentially help manage our franchise fleet. Also, we are potentially hiring a COO and a CFO, and this is ahead of our raise. So we, we plan on closing our raise uh, roughly in about like the end of October, if, and that's when we're going to go on the, quite a big hiring spree. We're still hiring developers as well, so irrespective of the raise, we're, we're hiring developers
1: awesome darren thanks so much and stay in touch amazing thank you so much for having me thanks darren
0: thanks for listening to riding unicorns if you haven't already please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform if you want to receive episodes direct to your inbox go to ridingunicorns.substack.com and subscribe on there as well see you next
1: time